Good morning, everyone. You're the love of my life There's no one else above you No one compares You're the love of my life Who died and rose again For me who always cares You're the one who's come And captured my heart And drove away the fears in my life Sitting at your feet is my place Hearing your word You're the love of my life Who showed me what true love is through sacrifice You're the love of my life The one I always turn to to get advice You're the one who's turned my whole world around and giving me the strength to go on To know you is to love only you And give up one's life Oh, you're the one I've always wanted to be like Oh, help me Lord to be all you want me to be Better than I know myself You're the love of my life Who drew this helpless sinner to himself You're the one who gave me a purpose in life And taught me how to love and to give To love you is to know only you And take up one's cross You're the one I've always wanted to be like Oh, help me, Lord, to be all you want me to be And hold my hand and lead me No one else above you, no one compares. Okay, I'll be right back. Let me hold my guitar. Oh, hang up my guitar. I'll be right back.
All right. Uh, let's get my video up here. Yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Good morning again. Could you turn your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1, verse 1? We'll be looking at uh, today, Ephesians 1, 6, as you can see on the board. Uh, we'll be looking at this verse, which teaches us that the praise of the Father, teaches about the Father's, uh, praise of the Father's glorious grace, which is related to uh, the Father's work on our, uh, our behalf in eternity past and electing uh, us uh, to adoption as sons by predestinating us. So that'll be uh, our subject here, verse 6, here this, uh, this, uh, this morning. And as we uh, continue our study of the prologue, uh, the, the, the great doxology in Ephesians 1, 3 through uh, 14. And uh, so uh, that'll be, uh, that is, this will actually constitute our 21st lesson in, uh, in Ephesians. And uh, just a just a couple of uh, announcements. Um, or just just the, I like to do this from time to time for people who might be checking in that listen to the podcast or watching the classes for the first time. Um, we're um, and I just identify or YouTube identify who we are and people are just passing through and want to know who this what this is all about. Well, my name is Bill Wenstrom. I'm a pastor ordained in 1998 from Grace Bible Church and uh, Somerset, Mass. And uh, I, um, we're an expository type ministry. Uh, we, um, that means we go through the different books of the Bible, verse by verse, paragraph by paragraph. We like to o o uh, um, alternate regularly uh, between Old Testament and New Testament. Sometimes I'll stay in the New Testament but, uh, or the Old Testament, but uh, usually it's alternate. Uh, uh, this time, actually, when we finished uh, Jude, we started doing Ephesians, but usually I would go back to go an Old Testament book. So when we finish Ephesians, I'll do a couple of books in the Old Testament consecutively. So we do that, and then we have different, we, between books, we do various uh, subjects like Trinity, justification by faith, sanctification, you know, stuff like the rapture, and uh, so canonicity, inerrancy, history, uh, history of the English Bible. Um, so we do those different doctrinal subjects. And all of our classes, all of the stuff that we've ever taught on, I've actually, uh, if you want to uh, read my material, we have over 17 that's right, it's over 1,700 articles, written articles over the last, uh, what, 25, 30 years and, uh, or ever since I've been writing. But all of our exegesis and exposition of the books we've done over the last 25 years are actually in PDF format, in exhaustive detail, by the way, too. And then um, also these subjects like the Trinity, uh, if you go to our wisdom.org page, you'll see, if you go to our written library, you'll have exposition. Those are the different books we've done in written form. And then you have doctrines, which I we broke out the articles into different areas of systematic theology. Also, I have, if you go through that written library even further, you'll see there's um, different uh, people that we've studied, like in Genesis, and um, and I'm going to add to that in the future, like Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I've never done just them, but we've done the book of Daniel. But So there's Greek word studies, there's prep school material, you can, and, and all of this is you can download free of charge. Uh, we're a grace ministry. And uh, I don't believe in ch uh, putting a price on any uh, of our articles. In fact, there's an article uh, up there uh, that explains why I don't do that. I don't want money to be an obstacle from somebody getting the Word of God, the Gospel, whether it's for their salvation or uh, the Word of God for their spiritual growth as a believer. And uh, some people don't have $25 to spend on a book. So I, I've always uh, adhered to uh, what I've been taught as uh, by my pastor and, uh, and what I've seen in the Word of God, more importantly, um, I would love to, if I, if I can find biblical justification to, uh, um, to put a, a price on my materials and sell my, uh, my, my material, uh, which my, all my written materials are pretty much book ready, I would do so, but I can't, I don't, in my conscience, I don't see anywhere in Scripture where it gives me the right to 
put a price on anything. In fact, I, I mean, I do have a right to expect um, enumeration from the body of Christ. Those who are taught the word of God, sure, good things are those who teach him. Galatians 6, 6, those who proclaim the gospel should get their living from the gospel and get that. But I don't, I don't see anywhere where, you know, Jesus and the apostles taught that, you know, or practiced and the prophets of Israel putting a price on their material. And uh, so uh, with the internet, I'm able to make it available to people. So uh, again, if you are benefiting from the ministry, you are actually obligated to support this ministry in whatever way, whatever the Holy Spirit leads you. But uh, because I mean, you, this I'm totally dependent upon the grace gifts of the members of the body of Christ that are benefiting from my material. And so like when you go, if you're a plumber, you do work for somebody, you expect to get remuneration for your work. Well, I work for the body of Christ and members of the body of Christ that actually are receiving my material, whether it's the audio, the video, uh, or the uh, the written materials or whatever and, uh, that we're putting out here, and uh, those are the people who are obligated to, to reciprocate. And, and uh, unfortunately, a very small, small, very small, less than probably less than one percent of the people who download all my stuff, and I can see the hits on our various websites. And uh, a very small percentage actually regularly gives to support this ministry. So, um, and so that you know, I, I a lot of uh, I know a lot of guys couldn't handle that. I mean, it takes a lot of you have to walk by faith. And uh, God, the Lord has is, uh, is, uh, sustained me and uh, through a lot of trials and tribulations and, and uh, guys who have been in the ministry know what I'm talking about. So uh, it can be really tight sometimes financially. So, um, but, uh, you know, um, the Lord knows what I'm doing and he'll, if, he'll reward me if he, as he sees fit at the Bama seat. Um, but uh, so also we, um, we teach, uh, two, uh, I'm watching Bible ministries, I teach uh, Saturday, Tuesdays, and Thursdays at 11 a.m. Central Standard Time. I live in Huntsville, Alabama. And the reason why I'm in Huntsville is because I, I'm also the pastor at Doctrine of Bible Church here in Huntsville, Alabama, which is at 1215 Russell Street Northeast in Huntsville and uh, Doctrine of Bible Church. And we teach on Wednesday evenings at uh, 6.30 p.m., and then on Sundays at, at two sessions, uh, we have a, a, a intermission between the two sessions. They're almost about an hour each. Uh, and we start at 9.30 a.m. So if you're in the area, 1215 Russell Street Northeast in Huntsville. And uh, so, uh, you know, uh, so I've been doing that since July. I moved here in, in just before 4th of July. And I taught my first class, I think, July 10th. So I'm doing that. So I'm teaching actually five times a week. So, uh, so I'm trying, and also I'm trying to... Uh, I do my own, write my own Christian music, so I'm trying. I'm looking for a time when I could start uh, writing a new collection of songs. And actually, I recorded one of my professionally one, recorded one of my songs already with a guy out here, pretty talented guy. So I'm looking to do more with him. So we'll see as the money comes in for that. I'll I'll do that. But um, yeah, so we're so I'm I get uh, a pretty busy schedule. So and uh, you know I was just talking to. Uh, my, some of my deacons at the breakfast here this morning. We have a little breakfast in the, in the morning with some of the guys in the church, and uh, and, uh, and, and and Buddy Pastor Peak used to be the pastor there. He, he's there too. So we were talking about somebody had offered me whether I whether asked me if I would like to go do a tour of Israel. You know, be the tour, not the Torah guy, but the, the the one who's the Torah guy who talks about you know Masada or talks about this Temple Mount. Or whatever you know, different parts knows the 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 Bible behind it. So they wanted somebody like me to do it. A lot of guys do it. Chuck Swindoll does it. I think Andy Woods does it too. But uh, so they were asking me about doing. It. I said, you know, I, I I listened to them and it was you know they were great, you know. And uh, but I and I've always wanted to do something like that. But it was you know, and it wouldn't be another for another year. But I I, I turned it down because I you know I, I have 
I have certain priorities and I, that would be another thing, responsibility. I, I just, I have too much on my plate already. I mean, I have enough on my plate already. I don't need to add to my, you know, what I need to, what I'm doing, you know? So it's all like, eh, okay, I'll have to, I, some, I, one of the things is a pastor, you have to learn to say no to certain things and you realize, okay, what's, this is what's important. So I, that's my priority and these two ministries. And so there's enough with my writing and my music and the teaching and everything, I have enough to do. So, and then uh, Wednesday Bible ministry is usually in, around Christmas time. As many of you know, I take about a month off around Christmas, and I also take a month from teaching uh, in the summer, which will probably be July this year, like it usually is, and um, just to give myself a break. And uh, I'm always <laughs> from teaching, but I'm actually writing during the whole time. I'm actually preparing stuff, which you know, that's I love to do it. So I don't look at it as a job. You know, what I do, I I enjoy it. the 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 job part, of, the difficult part of this job is comes in with, you know, the financial and the, the you know the, the and also the people issues, and uh, because you deal with sitters and you know not everybody's you know, gets it, and so you have trouble with people and people have, your know, trials and tribulations and you have your own personal stuff to boot. People re to fail to realize that because everybody's thinking about themselves most of the time. They don't realize, oh, this guy's getting enough on his place uh, dealing with a lot of stuff already you know and then he's trying to help me with my problems so but that's you know that's what we signed up for that's part of the job so um i appreciate the people who've been supporting this ministry with not only their finances but also um prayers and that's really 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 important so um so that's who that's who we are and uh and um and uh and we're, we're located and uh so let's um and also, by the way, we also do, as we did last Saturday, the first Saturday of each month, we do uh, observe the Lord's Supper. And at Doctrine Bible Church, we do it on the first Sunday of each month. So we last weekend, we I did it for us and uh, then for them uh, on last Sunday. So uh, I think that's about it for the announcements. And so, uh, you know, continue to keep us in prayer. And, um, and uh, if you'd like to support the ministry financially, you just, you know, go to our website. There's a... Uh, We'll, you'll see our address there, and um, our mailing address, as you can see on the board, is uh, you can write it, if you do write a check, it's, you can write it out, it's tax deductible, uh, uh, Wenstrom Bible Ministries, and it's at 603 O'Shaughnessy Ave, Northeast, Huntsville, Alabama, 35801. O'Shaughnessy is spelled O, small s, H-A-U-G-H-N-E-S-S-Y, Avenue, Northeast, Huntsville, 35801. And uh, if you want to give, you can give through PayPal, go to our website, hit the donate tab, and you'll see you can give through PayPal. People do it either way. So just so if you're, uh, if you, the Holy Spirit's moving you to support the ministry, there you go. All right, let's uh, take a moment of silent prayer. This is our custom. We take a moment of silent prayer to examine ourselves, to determine if we're in fellowship with God. Because any mental, verbal, or overt act of sin that we knowingly commit will cause us to lose fellowship with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But according to 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins to the Father, He, God the Father, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. In other words, He purifies us from each and every wrongdoing. And uh, we maintain that fellowship by obeying the Spirit who speaks to us through the Scriptures which He's inspired. And that's when we're obeying the commands of Ephesians 5.18 to be filled with the Spirit. And Colossians 3.16 to let the Word of Christ richly dwell in our souls. So if there's anything that's bothering you, uh, disturbing and distracting to you, do what 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxieties upon the Lord because He cares for you. So with that in mind, with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, let us pray.
Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day that you've given to us. We thank you for another day to study your word. We love your word. We love what you're teaching us uh, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I just thank you, Father, for all the logistical grace blessings that you've given to us, the food, shelter, clothing, the essentials to live in this world and to experience and enjoy creation and to serve you. Thank you for the bodies you've given us, the minds you've given us. We thank you, Father, for uh, the freedoms that we have in this country, and we just lift up our president and vice president and the various um, leaders and the executive, judicial, legislative branches of our federal, state, local governments and military, uh, police officers, the paramilitary organizations. I pray, Father, for them, that you give them the wisdom and the moral courage to lead this country and raise up more people uh, who have respect for uh, establishment principles, freedom principles that are found in your word and uh, expose those who are Christians to the gospel and for their spiritual growth. And uh, I also thank you, Father, for those uh, who are supporting and, and uh, taking part in, the, in this ministry over the years and up to the present moment, moment. Thank you for those who are watching live or listening to the recordings or watching the recordings at a later date. I thank you for them and I just Thank you for the uh, technology. I pray it would function properly, and I pray you protect it. I thank you for uh, YouTube providing the, uh, the streaming video live service that we have. I just pray it would function properly as well. And uh, I pray you use these things, these various media platforms that you've given to us and websites and use them mightily and, um, and the podcast. And uh, thank you for those, the technology again, the people taking advantage of it. I pray that you would help your people in the audience today, and we thank you for each and every one of them, that the Holy Spirit would speak to them as individuals and all of them as a corporate unit and uh, help them in the audience by the power of the Spirit to understand and enjoy and put into proper application what they're being taught, help them through the Spirit to meditate reflectively on what they're being taught in order to make application. I also pray, Father, that you would use me mightily, help me to be sensitive to the Spirit's guidance and direction, help me to communicate uh, what you're teaching in Ephesians 1, 6 today, to do so with accuracy and clarity and reverence, respect, and power, and uh, make it evident that uh, the Spirit is using me mightily to speak to your people. If there's any non-Christians in the audience, I thank you for them. I pray that by the Spirit, they'll be able to understand the gospel so that they can make a decision either to accept or reject your son, Jesus Christ, as Savior. And we know, according to 1 Timothy 2, 4 and other passages that in your word, that uh, you desire all people to be saved and uh, to be delivered from your wrath and uh, to have an experiential knowledge of you. So we pray for this lesson and this uh, class and your people and those who are not yet your people. Uh, we pray for these things in our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ's name, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen. As you can see, uh, and I mentioned this before the opening prayer, we'll be looking at Ephesians 1.6 today, which constitutes the 21st hour in this study of Ephesians. And today we'll see this verse talks about the praise of the Father's glorious grace, which is right on the heels of, um, of uh, Paul talking about the Father's work in eternity past on behalf of the church age believer. In fact, we've seen this uh, reference to praise of God's grace, and uh, in, uh, in not only in this path for us, but also we've, as I pointed out, and we'll see in the future, we see it um, this phrase or the praise of His glory. We see it at the uh, at the end, verse twelve, uh, on the heels of describing the work of Jesus at the cross and redeeming us out of the slave market of sin, in which we were all born physically alive but spiritually dead. And then we see it in verse fourteen on the heels of talking about the Spirit's work. Uh, his sealing ministry at the moment of our justification. 
So uh, this is a, we we see this is a tri, contains a triadic pattern. This uh, doxology found in verses three through fourteen, which is actually is the preface of the letter and begins the body of the letter. And uh, we also see a triadic pattern very in verse three, which starts off this uh, prologue. So uh, quite a fascinating. It's it, it's very uh, it's a big run on sentence as we pointed out. Um, you know, uh, verses three to fourteen. We, we would say in English it's a run on sentence, but in Greek it makes perfect Greek. And um, you know, it's it just piles on prepositional phrases and participial clauses, and you see this throughout this section. And then actually he does the same thing, very long, complicated uh, sentence uh, and uh, thought. And uh, and verses fifteen to twenty three, where he prays and to see tells them that what he intercedes in prayer for for them. The recipients of this letter, uh, he goes into, and, he, and it's a very complex, uh, syntactically, it would be considered like verses 3 through 14, a long run-on sentence in English, but it's not that, it's good Greek. <laughs> it's a very, uh, very, uh, taking full advantage of the language. So, um, we see that uh, this letter uh, was written by Paul. It's not a pseudonymous letter. The church, as we pointed out, rejected such uh, pseudonymity. We pointed that out in detail in our introduction. Uh, it was the recipients of this letter were not just uh, the Ephesian Christian community, but the various Christian communities throughout the Roman Empire. It was a circular letter. This is indicated again by the fact that uh, there's no personal greetings, which we would expect, because Paul stayed there according to Acts 18, 19, and 20 for three years. But we don't see any personal greetings. That tells us something. That it's a circular letter. And then uh, also indicating this is the prepositional phrase in Ephesus. The word Ephesus is not found there. And some of the best and oldest manuscripts that we have, there are in the manuscript tradition, but uh, not in the, the best and the, and the uh, more uh, the, uh, the the best, the oldest uh, that we have. Uh, and uh, but uh, that would indicate to us as well that this is circular letter. So as Dan Wallace suggested, and I'm agreement with him, when he, Paul wrote this from Rome, which was in his first Roman imprisonment around sixty between sixty and sixty two A.D. He sends this letter in the hands of Tychicus along with the Colossian letter and also uh, Philemon. Uh, he sends it to Ephesus and they made the most copies there in Ephesus because that was his home base. That's why in the manuscript tradition we have more uh, manuscripts having in Ephesus at the head of the letter. And then, but we know from Martian, uh, one of the ancients, uh, he saw this same letter and it was addressed to the Laodiceans. And many people like myself believe uh, that Colossians 4.18 mentions this Laodicean letter. And we, I believe it was Ephesians. And uh, the contents we would call today Ephesians. So this is another indication that this was a circular letter. So it goes to Ephesus and then it was passed down the road to Laodicea. And, and some of the copies, one of the, some of the, these um, copies of this book, uh, uh, this uh, epistle, they would leave the space open to make a, for, for Laodicea. And then the next one, like say Pergamum. And then they'd fill in that. So there was a space in each copy to be sent to each of these cities, I believe. And uh, so uh, this, uh, and then we have verse uh, verse two, we have uh, a spirit-inspired greeting. Uh, basically, the contents of this letter, Paul describes as God's uh, grace. He wanted this grace to be manifested in and among uh, the, uh, the recipients of this letter. And as a result, uh, if it was uh, applied, what they if they uh, obeyed what he taught them in this letter, the spirit-inspired contents of this epistle, which God affects His grace, as we pointed out, uh, then they would have peace in themselves as individuals and with each other, when they function with each other in the body of Christ. And uh, and we also pointed, and then we also pointed out that the purpose of this letter is that uh, number one concern 
as uh, as you can see in the first the beginning of the the application section of this letter, as we pointed out, the first three chapters contain the indicatives. Uh, then and then we have the imperatives in chapters four, five, and six, which means that four, five, and six is a, uh, showing us the application of the first three chapters. And we see it begin that application section in chapter four begins with Paul being concerned that there is unity uh, in the in, in these Christian communities. Uh, and that it would be maintained through the practice of the command to love one another. And uh, so that is the purpose. He was concerned about maintaining the, in the Christian communities in the Roman province of Asia, maintaining the unity, their unity experientially. There's unity positionally through the baptism of the Spirit and also in a perfective sense at the rapture, the resurrection of the church when we're all perfected. But experientially, that uh, is uh, is a potential. And, the, and so that means that, they could say no to what he's saying in this letter and they won't have experientially unity amongst themselves. And another reason why he wants this unity is concerned about, as he was in many of his letters, like Romans, that the, the Gentile Christian community, the Jewish Christian community, would uh, would be unified, that would experience fellowship with each other. Because it was culture shock for the Jews to go have fellowship with Gentiles. They didn't do that. And uh, we see that Paul, Peter had that difficulty in going into Cornelius' home. God had to show him in a vision that was three times that he could do this. So this is this is what the this is the contents of this letter. This is what this purpose of this letter is all about. And uh, I think uh, it's going to be a great blessing to the body of Christ. At least that's going to be my it has been my prayer and will continue to be my prayer that this letter or this study will be a great blessing to the body of Christ and now and in the future along with the other stuff that we've done in the past. So let's look at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 1 and as I've been doing I, I like to read uh, uh, the first 14 verses and then we'll look at verse 6 in detail for the rest of the, the lesson. So today I'm going to read I read from all various multi, uh, English translations which are fantastic. I use try to Take advantage of each one of them, and today we'll read from the NIV, and I'll, I'll also read from my translation, verses 3 through 6, when we get to it. So Ephesians 1.1, 1, 1. Paul writes, and again I'm reading from the NIV, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love he predestined us for adoption to a sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, the millennial reign, as we'll see, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him... Christ, we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance, rewards for faithful service at the Bema seat, until the redemption of those who are God's possession, the rapture of the church, to the praise of His glory. Now, my translation of verses 3 through 6 goes as follows. The God, namely the Father of the Lord ruling over us, who is Jesus Christ, 
he, the Father, is worthy of praise, namely because he is the one who has blessed each and every one of us by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ. For he chose each and every one of us for his own purpose, because of him, Christ alone, before creation, in order that each and every one of us would be holy, as well as uncensurable in his judgment. He did this by predestinating each and every one of us for the purpose of adoption as sons because of his love through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the pleasure of his will. Verse 6 says this was for the purpose of praising his glorious grace, which he freely bestowed on each and every one of us because of the one who is divinely loved, as we'll see that speaking of his son, Jesus Christ. Now, we come to verse 6, which is composed of a prepositional phrase as well as a relative pronoun clause. Now, the prepositional phrase, uh, for those who are interested in the Greek, here's the Greek here, and here's the transliteration, those of you watching the video. It's the word, it's the phrase, uh, the prepositional phrase, ace, epinon, doxes, tes, haritos, atu, which I translate for the purpose of praising His glorious grace. The NIV, they translate this uh, to the praise of His glorious grace. The ESV, they translate this to the praise of His glorious grace, and so does the the Net Bible, to the praise of the glory of His grace, I should should say. So they're all pretty similar. So this is expressing, this prepositional phrase is actually expressing the purpose for the previous assertions in verses 3 to 5. So at the very beginning, it says, to the praise of His glorious grace in the the, um, NIV, or as you see in my translation, uh, when it says, this was for the purpose of praising His glorious grace, what was for the purpose of praising His glorious grace? Well, as I said before, the purpose of expri- uh, praising His glorious grace, uh, this prepositional phrase, for the purpose of praising his, his glorious grace, is expressing the purpose for what we just saw in the first verses 3 to 5 in those previous assertions. So therefore, uh, if you compare this prepositional phrase, which is giving us the purpose for the contents or the assertions in verses 3 to 5, this would indicate the following. First of all, it would indicate that the Father blessed each and every church-age believer by means of each and every kind of spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenlies in Christ, as it says in verse 3, he did this for the purpose of having his glorious grace policy praised by his creatures, and specifically, those who would be praising him are the church-age believer himself, who's the beneficiary of these blessings, and also, of course, the elect angels who are observing us as we speak. And so it also indicates, this prepositional phrase and the contents, the assertions in verses 3 through 5, it also indicates that the Father uh, elected the church-age believer for his own purpose because of his Son before creation in order that they would be holy as well as uncensurable in his judgment for the purpose of, quote-unquote, having his glorious grace policy praised by his creatures, and again, in particular, praised by church-age believers who are the beneficiaries of this, and of course, the elect angels who are observing. Lastly, uh, this would indicate that the Father elected the church-age believer by predestinating them for the purpose of adoption as his sons because of his love through Jesus Christ for himself, according to the pleasure of his will, for the purpose of, uh, purpose of quote-unquote, having his glorious grace policy praise. So electing by predict, uh, electing us to an uh, eternal relationship and fellowship with the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and by predestinating each one of us to adoption as his sons, is was actually intended to give praise to the Father's glorious grace policy toward us sinners. And, uh, and also, again, as we pointed out, uh, we see that... Um, uh, you know, the, the the Father giving us every spiritual uh, blessing, uh, spirit-appropriated blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. The purpose of doing that was that His glorious grace policy would be praised 
by his, uh, the church age believer and also the elect angels. So uh, the, the assertions in verses 3 through 5, we see that the purpose for these assertions, the purpose of the, these things that God did for us in eternity past the Father was to give praise to his glorious grace policy. Now, this leads us to grace. Haris, which we talked about in verse 2 in the, in the uh, spirit-appropriated, spirit-inspired uh, 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 greeting. Uh, the word haris, translated grace in your Bibles, refers to God the Father's grace policy towards sinners, which manifests His attribute of love. So when we think of God's grace, it flows from His attribute of love. Why? Because grace is unmerited blessings. Uh, blessings given to us sinners that we don't deserve or earn. We get them because of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, His merits. And so what is God's love in relation to a non-believer? Uh, when we were dead in our sins and transgressions, the Holy Spirit, our justification, raised us up and seated us with Christ at the Father's right hand. And when we were His enemies, Christ died for us. He suffered the wrath of God in our place so that we wouldn't suffer the wrath of God forever in the lake of fire. So uh, God's uh, was manifesting the impersonal nature of His love in the sense that He doesn't need an attractive object to do good things for us. <laughs> so, uh, so therefore, grace is a non-merited blessing, unmerited blessing, and God's able to love His enemies. That would tell us that uh, that this is uh, this grace policy flows from God's attribute of love. So, w- w- these unmerited blessings, God's grace policy, is an expression of His love. In other words, so Paul asserts here that this grace policy will be praised. In what sense? It'll be praised in the sense that it will receive approval and commendation as well as receiving affirmation of its excellence. It will receive praise in the sense of admiration or approval from his creatures. And those of his creatures who will be praising the Father's grace policy, as they said before, towards the church-age believer will be, of course, church-age believers, as well as elect angels who observe the church-age believer working out their salvation in time. So uh, one of the things that we we need to get ready for is, and we should be doing it already in our churches and in our own private sanctified time alone with God is giving praise to God for his grace, treating us better than we deserve. We deserve the wrath of God and the lake of fire, but we ain't going there because of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. We're not better than anybody. God saved us because of the merits. The object of our faith is son, Jesus Christ. So there's no, there's no bragging and there's no arrogance. There's no pride uh, we don't earn and deserve anything. This was all, even the rewards we get for faithful service, we wouldn't have any way of getting those rewards if, again, God wasn't treating us in grace. And so God's a trans, his, He's a transcendent being. He transcends, His character transcends that of His, his creatures, His moral, rational creatures like men and angels. Uh, they don't measure up to Him. And that's, we saw that in Revelation 5 with the title deed to the earth, the seven seal scroll in Revelation 5 could not be broken except by the Lamb, because no one else was worthy in heaven and on earth and under the earth to open that seven-seal scroll, the title deed to earth, Revelation 5, but only the Lamb was, Jesus Christ. So that would tell us, imply quite clearly that the angels are not perfect either. And Job talks about the the angels as well. In fact, um, just like uh, Adam was and his wife plunged their progeny, the human race, into sin, so Satan, who was... The, the anointed cherubim was uh, the greatest creature ever come from the hand of God. He fell, and I, I believe he plunged the angelic race into uh, uh, the same sort of deal that we have to a certain extent being condemned before God in that sense, not giving them a sin nature. I don't know about that. But uh, so God treated the angels in grace. He treats Satan in grace. That's why he's not in, in the lake of fire now. His sentence hasn't been executed yet. 
though he was sentenced there, uh, as we see in uh, Matthew 25, 41. But that sentence won't be executed until the end of history and after the millennial reign and his final rebellion. So that the fact tell, that tells us that he's given Satan some kind of appeal. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, and by doing that, he was showing him grace. And he treats all of his creatures in grace. And good thing he did, because none of us would exist. And God knew by creating more rational creatures with volition that they would sin and uh, against him. And so he knew he would have to operate. And you know, the great thing about it is we would never know the extent to which God loves us, his creatures, unless we fell. And that's not justifying us falling. That's just a fact. So, you know, God was able to glorify himself even more because of, of, of us sinning and rebelling against him in his authority, his sovereign authority. So, Paul describes, Paul describes the Father's grace policy here in Ephesians 1.6 with the noun doxa, which it means glory. But it's it's uh, it's used here uh, in a uh, in a, as a noun here. Uh, excuse me, as an adjective here. In fact, it's a attributive genitive, I believe. Let me just look at my notes here. I'll quickly find it for you, for us. And uh, so I translated glorious. And most of the translations, see the NIV, they 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 translated glorious. The ESV, glorious. Everybody kind of does translates it glorious. And uh, we'll see. The Net Bible goes the glory. See how they translated glory and NIV and ESV do uh, glorious because they they they're it's because of an interpretive issue, which is not a major thing, but it actually it's uh it's just something interesting to show you. But uh, um, so if you look, let me just see. Get my um, my exit. This is my article that's going to go on our website in PDF format. It's an, it's. Um, it's a my exegesis to uh, this uh, particular letter. So let me just get uh, what I got for I believe it's an attributive genitive for the word doxa. Okay, here it is. Yeah, no, so doxa uh, here it functions as an objective genitive, and that simply means it functions semantically, as you can see, as the direct object of the verbal idea implicit in the head noun, which is epinos, praise. So that's there's a, a verbal idea implicit in that noun. Noun. So this would indicate that. The God the Father's grace policy towards the church age believer sees the action of being praised by uh, the, the, um, the, wait a minute, hold on one sec. Yeah, okay. Hold on. That's weird. Hold on, so that, that's where it was in the other passage. It's not, hold on. Ah, yeah, it is. I knew I was right. I'm looking at Ephesians 1, 2. So in Ephesians 1, 6, doxa, okay, translated glory, the glory by the Annette Bible. That's a good translation. That's what the word means. But I believe, and usually the Annette Bible follows the uh, NIV, I find. Um, NIV, ESV, I believe, are correctly translated glorious like an adjective. And here's why. It's a, it's a Greek grammar. It's, it's because it's functioning, this word's functioning as an attributive genitive, which specifies an attribute or innate quality of the head substantive. Now the head substantive, uh, we'll see, is uh, is a pinos, a, a grace, haris. Okay, that's the head noun. So that would mean that this word doxa, even though it's a noun, it's functioning as an attributive adjective, meaning it's ascribing an attribute to God's grace, haris. Okay, so that is what uh, I wanted to show you. So when Paul describes the Father's grace policy with the noun doxa, glorious. 
uh, which is expressing the idea that the Father's grace policy towards church-age believers possesses glory and is marked by great beauty and splendor. So when we tr- when we have give it the meaning with the, as an attributive genitive, it has the meaning of an adjective like glorious, okay? What does glorious mean? Well, in English, if you look up the definition, it would mean something that's marked by great beauty and splendor. And so that's what, when Paul uses this word doxa here as an attributive genitive, he means it means that he's describing the Father's grace policy uh, as glorious, and uh, and glorious means it's expressing the idea that the Father's grace policy toward us as church-age believers possesses glory and is marked by great beauty and splendor. It's also expressing the idea that the Father's grace policy towards the church-age believer is notably or brilliantly outstanding because of dignity or achievements or actions. So thus the noun doxa, glorious, it, it's a, uh, it means glorious because it's ascribing this word's ascribing to the Father's grace policy, haris, grace, towards the church age believer. It's describing it or ascribing the, to the Father's grace policy the idea of being brilliantly outstanding because of the Father's work in eternity past and His work through both the Son and the Spirit's work in time on behalf of the church age believer. So, you know, one of the things you see in Paul is very, very instructive. I, you know, you can see this and his writings is Paul's very, very conscious because we live in a culture and he did too because the devil's still ruling this world and we're all sinners, right? By nature and practice. We like to give, uh, we like to blow our own horns. <laughs> if you haven't noticed that, our, we everybody's doing it. Even pastors do it. We blow our own horn, you know? And, uh, but really, you know, if we're, you know, we're, the fact that we're just still alive and existing and then all these blessings that God gives in us, gives us and Whatever he's done uh, is uh, in our ministries or whatever. It's because of what he gave us. And all we're doing is making non-meritorious decisions to have faith in what he's t- teaching, telling us and obeying what he's doing. Us. It's not meritorious about that. So in other words, he, you know, he blesses us and we respond to his, his, his blessing us out of love for us. Uh, we respond to his love by loving him back and we show our love for him by obeying him. If you love me, keep my commandments. John 14, 15, the Lord taught us. So we can't really get too puffed up about ourselves. I mean, if, we're, if we've done anything great, God's done anything great, it's because God did it through us. And that's why, you know, it's very difficult, you know, when as a pastor, it's, you know, um, People, I mean, I understand and I appreciate people appreciating what I'm doing and I appreciate the encouragement they give me and, you know, and um, and telling me, you know, that they they really think a lot of my teaching or whatever, the music, whatever, and everything. I really appreciate that. That's great. It gives me encouragement that God's working through me. But I have to always remind myself that that's God working through me. That's not Bill, because Bill in his flesh is a piece of junk. And there's worse words we used to use in Massachusetts for that, <laughs> really. And so I can't, it's hard, you know, so you're always battling that as a pastor because people want to encourage you and, you know, express their thanks. You know, I say, yeah, but I was like, thank God too, you know. Thank God because he, he was able to use me to benefit you. And really, I mean, I'm just a, a, a vessel. Really, I believe, I mean, if I didn't believe that, I mean, I, I don't think I could be in ministry as long as I have and, you know, not be... Uh, crazy but it's like yeah it's 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 true i'm just a vessel 
I mean, it's his word. I didn't think this stuff up. <laughs> I, mean, I didn't think that if I had my own way of doing things, I would have been a rock star and married to a beautiful woman and miserable. <laughs> if I followed what my own, what I wanted to do, I would end up miserable. And uh, so, I mean, it did, so it, I didn't plan this for my life. God did. I, and that's quite clear, you know, and that's another thing that makes, encourages me because like, like I look back, it's like, I would never plan this for myself. I wasn't planning this for myself. I didn't want to go through the, tr I would have never planned the trouble I went through in ministry since I've been in ministry and even going back when I, or I got ordained, I had trouble. Like uh, one day, that's a story for another day, but I mean, I've had nothing really, I mean, not all the time, but I've had quite a bit of trouble. It's like, I would have never asked that for myself or pursued that in my life. I wanted to, I'm like everybody else. I want my life to be a highway, you know? I want to have, you know, no money problems, no, I want to have a beautiful wife and, kids and a big house and you know go on big vacations that's all i wanted i wanted to do that too i wanted everybody to love me you know you think i wanted to go through church but no the last thing i want to do is be you know reviled and slandered and you know lied about i mean which has happened it's like i didn't want to plan this for myself so i look back it's like well god was doing something in my life because i that had to be god because that couldn't be me because i would have avoided all the trouble <laughs> i would have avoided all of it i'm not stupid i'm not i'm just like everybody else so, uh, you know, so I, it's God, it's just him. And it's like, it's, it's, if you have to, in ministry, and this is a, as not somebody who's, you know, whether you're a pastor or not a pastor and you're in a ministry, you got to always remember that if, if you've, if you've ever accomplished anything, it's the grace of God working through you, you know, like, I, let's see if I can find this. I think it's in Corinthians. Just give me a second to find it, but. Oh, let's see. Um, yeah. Let me just go here for a second. Yeah, there's a passage that Paul mentions this. I, mean, I believe it's in 2 Corinthians. Let me just find it real quick, quick for you. Because he brings this out. I mean, he does it brilliantly. Okay. Yeah, he's, let's see, where does he say? Yeah. Well, you know, well, here's a couple of things about Paul. Um, yeah, he, he has, uh, I don't think it was in Corinthians, okay. Let me just get on it. Sorry to keep you uh, all waiting. <laughs> Let me see. I'm going to find it. Now it's going to drive me crazy if I, unless I have to find it. Paul's epistles. Give me Paul's epistles. All right. Let me see. Yeah, here he is. It was in 1 Corinthians, not 2 Corinthians. I was almost right. <laughs> All right, look at what he says. Paul says, um, this is great. Look, look at what it says in uh, 1 Corinthians 15. See, he understood this, and I've always struck me, and I'm, many guys get struck by this, but... You know, there's a, kind of like an almost an oxymoron going on here. You know, um, I worked harder, he says, but it was grace of God working through me. You know, so look at it says in 1 Corinthians 15, 1. It says, now I want to make you clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel. Let me blow up the screen, full screen for you. Sorry. So you have to look at my bald head. Now I want to make clear for you, brothers and sisters, the gospel that I preached to you that you received and on which you stand and by which you are being saved experiencing your salvation to obedience if you hold firmly to the message there you go this is the condition i preach to you unless you believed in vain for i passed on to you as of first importance what i also received that christ died for our sins according to the scriptures that he was buried and that he was raised and on the third day according to the scriptures 
He was raised on the, th on the third day according to the scripture. There's the gospel right there. Okay. Then he says, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, then to the twelve, and then he appeared to more than five hundred of the brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep, a euphemism for physical death. Then he appeared to James and then to all the apostles, last of all, as though one to, uh, although to one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me also. For I am the least of the apostles, he says, unworthy to be called an apostle because he persecuted the church of God. That's why. Then he says this, very interesting, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me has not been in vain. In fact, I work, now you would say he is really arrogant for saying this. In fact, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God with me. Now, is Paul arrogant? I don't think so. I think he's, I think he's, of course he's not. He's under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Of course he's not arrogant. The work, his work proves it. Look what he did. He, he evangelized the Roman Empire. He was, a, he was the apostle of the Gentiles. He had more people to reach than the Peter and the, the other Jewish apostles, the other apostles that, like uh, James and John. They all stayed in Judea. You know, and then the persecution came and they had a bunch out, but Paul was the trailblazer. And so he worked harder. He went through more suffering. He worked harder. And he, but then he says, the caveat, but not I, but the grace of God with me or through me. In other words, you know, it was, yes, he made non-meritorious decisions to, to uh, obey what God's teaching, which, is, uh, which affects his grace. So he responded to the, to the unmerited blessings, grace policy that God demonstrated toward him by responding and making non-meritorious decisions to have faith and obedience to what he was being taught. So, yes, he had to make decisions, positive decisions, for that to be the case. He worked harder than all the apostles. He suffered the most of all the apostles, hands down. And he definitely had the, the most work. So, you know, I, um, you know, so uh, if I have a, you know, you know, I look, look at my ministry and it, and that, uh, you know, I'm trying to look at my ministry from that kind of perspective. Um, I mean, I, I, you know, starting with uh, at GBC where I was ordained, I, you know, I did, uh, it was, I look back, it was the grace of God working through me. I mean, I, I ran a prep school there for seven years. I used to sit in for Bob all, you know, all the time. I mean, we did, helped out in, uh, in that ministry and uh, then got my own two church plants and, you know, I was teaching four times a week and I wrote all these articles and then stuff, you know, people were benefiting from now and the music too. And then, you know, I'm, now I'm, and you would think I would be cutting back on, as I get older for, on the number of days I'm teaching. Now I'm teaching five days a week. I have a pastor two ministries. So, but that's the grace of God working through me because I, I can't, you know, um, ministry is too tough. Uh, it's a spiritual warfare. Um, the Christian way of life is a supernatural way of life that demands a supernatural way of means of execution. So I couldn't do this schedule that I've been doing for years now and do what I'm doing now at 61, you know, where most guys are looking to cut back. Uh, I couldn't do that. It, it has to be God working through me because the Spirit working through me because there's no way you can do that. I, I, look, I look back at some of the things, like I, I can't even believe I did that, you know, went, went through that. I don't even believe I was able to do all that. And that's the grace of God, you know. So the great thing is when you appropriate by faith God's, uh, you appropriate, appropriate the Spirit's power by faith. 
and what the Spirit's teaching in the Word of God. That's what carries you through ministry as a pastor. And that's, and, and that's what's going to carry through anybody through ministry, trying to serve the Lord. That's what you got to do. But it all stems from your faith and obedience to God's Word. And, uh, and then you can experience the, the benefits of God's grace policy. And that's what Paul was talking about there. Is, is he worked harder than all of them? He's not being arrogant. It's the truth. And but that was then he says, but that's the grace of God working through me. So I just appropriated God's power for ministry by uh, responding by faith to His grace, which is being manifested through the communication of His Word. So let's go back to Ephesians one six. Ephesians one six. So as we mentioned in verse, our study of Ephesians 1-2, where the word shows up, Haris, grace, it's a, a major theme in this epistle. It, because it appears 12 times, we've seen it already in Ephesians 1-2, we see it now today in Ephesians 1-6, and we'll see it in Ephesians 1-7, and uh, also, 25, there's no Ephesians 1-25, so, uh, 20, is it 23? I don't know, we got it in there somewhere. Oh, it's probably Ephesians 2-5, you see, that's what happened. Of course it is. So I got a, that's a typo, sorry. So it, you see the, the word hiaris, grace, in Ephesians 2, 5, verse 7 and 8, and then Ephesians 3, 2, 7 and 8, and then Ephesians 4, 7 and 29, and lastly, Ephesians 6, 24. And what is grace? Well, there's many definitions for it. I've given you some so far, but pretty much grace is all that God is, the Father is free to do and imparting unmerited blessings to those who trust in His Son, Jesus Christ, the Savior, and these blessings come to us, flow to us from God's attribute, love based upon the merits of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ, and his death on the cross. Grace is treating us in a manner that we don't deserve and it excludes any human works in order to acquire eternal salvation or blessing from God. Grace means that God saved us and blessed us despite ourselves and not according to anything that we do, but rather saved us and blessed us because of the merits of the object of our faith, its justification, and his finished work on the cross, Jesus Christ. Grace excludes any human merit in salvation and blessing. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, For by grace you were saved through faith, and that is not from yourselves. It's the gift of God. It's not from works, so that no one can boast. Titus 3, 5 echoes that. God saved us not by works of righteousness that we have done, but on the basis of his mercy, through the washing of the new birth and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. So by means of faith, we accept the grace of God, as I pointed out to you, which is in gra uh, faith is a non-meritorious system of perception, at, which is in total accord with the grace of God. Now, faith, this is what a lot of the human theologians don't get. Uh, faith, <clears throat> excuse me, faith is, uh, even the non-believers exercise faith, but not, they don't have the same object as the Christian does, obviously. Faith is a non-meritorious system of perception. Unbelievers use faith when don't even realize it. They don't have the, uh, the object of their faith is not Jesus Christ or what the Bible's teaching. It's something else they have faith in. They have faith in their money. They have faith in their talent. They have faith in their abilities. They have faith in their, you know, their Tom Brady. <laughs> they have faith in the president. They have faith in this chair is going to hold me as I sit on it. And faith, we use it all the time. And, uh, but uh, when we talk about in the Christian context, and you know, we see that faith has an object, and the, that object is Jesus Christ. That's what saves us from the wrath of God. So grace and faith are totally compatible with each other and inseparable, and they complement one another as a result. And as it says in Romans 4.16, for this reason, it's by faith 
so that it may be by grace, with the result that the promise may be certain to all the descendants, the descendants of Abraham, not only those to those under the law, but also to those who have the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. So grace and salvation, grace, faith, and salvation are all the gift of God, all three. Grace, faith, salvation are all the gift of God and totally exclude all human works and ability. They have to be. Because everything that we have, faith, the ability to have faith and to have faith and grace and experience that and salvation, that is all the gift of God. Because, for instance, uh, for us to receive God's grace, we have to have faith in Jesus Christ, okay? But God has to sovereignly decree that we'll be able to make that decision in eternity past. And when we, so therefore, even our decisions to have faith in what is in His Son all stem from His making the decision to allow us to make that decision and the divine decree. So he sovereignly decreed that we would make those decisions, whether positive or negative, including the faith, uh, our faith of justification. So, of course, it's a gift. Everything we have is a gift. Everything we have. The fact that I'm talking, my voice, my brain, your brain, you can hear, you can see, uh, the technology that we have, everything is from him. Everything, nothing is, we're nothing. He is everything. He's the genius. There's only one genius, it's God. I mean, it's just, we, we, no angel. Nothing. The angels owe everything they're being like we do, human beings, to God. Everything, our ability to function. I mean, we are wonderfully and fearfully made, are we not? As the scriptures say, yes, all God. And so that's, we, that's, a, you got to understand, if you don't understand that, I, mean, I pray that you, God will show you that because that's what the scriptures teach. And that's really, when you think about it, our lives, you know, are like a thread. I mean, I could drop dead at any moment. You know, you know, one thing I've seen, you know, people I love over, you know, like recently my brother Kenny passing away of cancer. He was 55. He was in good shape. He was always in good shape. He was like, he was like a handsome guy and, you know, he was, he was a great athlete and everything and probably the best athlete in our family outside of my father. But he was, uh, and he was talented in other things too. Could sing good, but, uh, but he could play guitar. He didn't even play it. You know, he just kind of picked it up. And he used to pick up the drums. I mean, he so, but he, you know, he was, next thing I know, he's gone. And it was like, I'm seeing him dying of cancer in that, in, in, you know, in, the, in that hospital. And it's like, and, and it was, it was it was like, wow. I mean, I know, I mean, this is, you know, we're all in a fallen world. We're all sinners. And the curse of sin has hit my family and hits every family. And uh, eventually we die physically or, until the, or if the rapture comes before them. But we, we hang by a thread. We're here today and gone tomorrow. We're like... <laughs> You know, like it says in with Peter quoting Isaiah, you know, first Peter, you know, blows the, blows the flower away. You know, the flower is out there blooming in the spring and boom, it's gone. It's burned away, you know, and it's, it's just, you know, leaves die and they fall on the ground they decompose and, you know, we're no different, you know, we're just, and, uh, but actually God has, thank God, God has a great plan for us in that he can uh, give us victory over death and has through faith in his son. So these unmerited blessings, people, these unmerited blessings that flow from God's grace policy flow to the sinner through the, through the work of both the Son and the Spirit. The crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, session of Jesus Christ, which provided them eternal salvation and unmerited blessings. These events in the life of Jesus Christ provided the church-age believer deliverance from sin, Satan, his cosmic system, and eternal condemnation and reconciled them to God. This reconciliation with God and uh, deliverance and victory over sin and Satan, this cosmic system that God accomplished through his son's crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session is received 
as a gift and appropriated through faith in Jesus Christ. Do you earn or deserve a gift? No. A gift is a gift. <laughs> you don't pay for a gift. That's what salvation is. So at the moment, so in other words, if you're not a Christian, it's easy to get saved. You have to, first of all, believe that Jesus is both God and man because you can't get reconciled to God unless you have a mediator between a holy God and you as a sinner. And also you have to believe he died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's what we just read in 1 Corinthians 15, 4. He has to rise from the dead because if he doesn't rise from the dead, then his death is meaningless. The fact that he rises from the dead demonstrates he's God, that God the Father has vindicated him and has accepted his uh, suffering the wrath of God in our place as the payment for our sins. So if you believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, you know, you, you, it's, it's a, you, you accept it as a gift. You don't earn it or deserve it. You don't have to do it. How many five our fathers, Hail Marys, as we used to be taught in, in, as a Catholic. No, it's just simple faith in Jesus. In fact, Jesus equated faith in him as, as, as Moses lifting up the serpent and the and Jews in order to, the rebellious Jews, in order to uh, be spared from the, 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 the snake bites that were killing people, just have to look at that, that, uh, that snake on the, on the pole and they would be delivered. That's so. How how difficult? How much merit? There's no merit in looking up and seeing something, right? That's how easy it is to believe in Jesus. He equated it with that. Jesus did in John, chapter three. If you read it, why did he do that? Because he wants you to know: is eating, drinking? And Jesus said, "Eat my body and drink my blood." He's equating, you know, the non-meritorious systems of eating and drinking. There's no merit in me drinking this water. Oh, tremendous talent. Be, look, you see the talent there of me drinking that one. There's no merit in doing that. I mean, there's no merit in eating, you know. And some of us have eaten too much. Okay, well, that's salvation. That's why he's equating faith in him as with eating and drinking, because he's trying to show us that it's non-meritorious, and both things bless us. Eating and drinking just came to me. Ooh, yeah, brilliant, huh? But anyways, <laughs> at the moment of their justification through the baptism of the Spirit. The church-age believer was identified with Jesus Christ in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the Father's right hand. Consequently, they were delivered positionally from the power of Satan, the old sin nature, and the cosmic system of Satan. That's what Romans 5-7 is all about. Positionally means that God views the believer as crucified, died, buried, raised, and seated with Christ. And this was accomplished again at the moment of justification, conversion, through the baptism of the Spirit, when the omnipotence of the Holy Spirit placed the believer in an eternal union with Christ. The unique person of the Lord Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross is the source of all grace. 2 Corinthians 8, 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that although He was rich, deity, He became poor, humanity, for your sakes, so that you by His poverty, through His humanity, could become rich, partakers of the divine nature. Jesus is the gift from the Father. 2 Corinthians 9, 15, Paul says, Thanks be to God for His indescribable gift. Who do you think His indescribable gift is? His son, Jesus Christ, was full of grace and truth. John one seventeen, and he, the believer, or she, receives the grace of God through him. That's John one sixteen. It is by the grace of God that Jesus Christ died, a substitutionary spiritual and physical death for all mankind. Hebrews two nine teaches us that as well. Therefore, the throne in which Christ sits is a throne of grace, according to uh, Hebrews four sixteen. Therefore, let us confidently approach the throne of grace in prayer to receive mercy in life and find grace whenever we need help. So the grace of God has been extended to every member of the human race because of the act of the love of love and justice on the cross. At the cross, the Father imputed 
credited the sins of every person in human history, past, present, and future, to the impeccable humanity of Christ in hypostatic union on the cross and judged him as a substitute for the entire human race. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. Unlimited atonement, and uh, that would uh, blow up uh, anybody who was talking about uh, limited atonement. The message of God's savings act in Christ is described as the gospel of grace of God in Acts 20, 24. And it's called, described as the word of his grace in Acts 20, 32. Now by his grace, God justifies the undeserving and unworthy sinner through faith in his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 3, 24, for the sinners are, sinners are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Grace is an absolute and it's no longer grace if we're saved on the basis of of human works, Romans 11, 6. So, the unbeliever receives the grace of God at the moment of justification by obeying the voice of the Spirit, which is heard by the unbeliever through the communication of the gospel for salvation by an evangelist or a believer operating under his royal ambassadorship. You and I, as church-age believers, we receive the grace of God by obeying the voice of the Spirit who speaks to us through the, regarding the Father's will for our lives through the communication of the Word of God by the believer's divinely ordained pastor, teacher, or fellow believer. Now, as we wrap up our study of Ephesians 1.6, I told you that uh, Ephesians 1.6 is composed of a prepositional phrase, and, uh, and which is to the praise of His glory as we, uh, glorious grace, as we pointed out, is how it's translated. And then it, it's followed by a relative pronoun clause. So the relative pronoun clause, and here it is in the Greek, and here's the transliteration there highlighted for you. Here's the Greek. And so in the Greek, for those who are interested, it's heis, haritosen, hemas, and to agapemeno, and that's translated by myself, which he freely bestowed on each and every one of us because of the one who is divinely loved. Uh, and that's, uh, this relative pronoun clause is making an assertion about the Father's grace policy. It's asserting this, as you can see, that the Father bestowed on the church-age believer unmerited blessings, which flow from his grace policy towards sinners because of the one whom he loves, which is, of course, his one and only Son, Jesus Christ. So therefore, the prepositional phrase, Ento agapimeno, uh, which I translate because of the one who is divinely loved. The NIV translates it uh, uh, in the one he loves. The ESV does probably the same thing in the in the beloved, the old way. Uh, the NIV uh, they have um, in the one he loves. Okay, so I translate it because of the one who is divinely loved. I looked at his causal, this prepositional phrase. So this prepositional phrase, which is the very end of the relative pronoun clause in this verse, it indicates that the Father, the Father bestowed his grace upon the church-age believer because of the Lord Jesus Christ. Specifically, it indicates that the Father bestowed his grace upon the church-age believer because of, quote-unquote, their faith in his Son, Jesus Christ, and their resultant union identification with him. Now, the articular, Date of masculine singular, perfect passive participle conjugation of this verb agapao uh, contains the figure of metonymy, which means that the one whom the Father loves, namely his Son, Jesus Christ, is put for our, the church-age believers, faith in him at justification. It's also put for the church-age believers' union identification with Christ in his crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session at the Father's right hand, which is the direct result of their justification. So, he freely gave, in other words, this relative pronoun clause, which the NIV translates, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. What has he freely given us? His glorious grace. 
And how did it come to us? It came to us because of the merits of the object of our faith, Jesus Christ. That's why I say that prepositional phrase at the end there is causal. It's because of our faith in him and justification that we experience the grace of God. And it's because of the, the uh, merits of the object of our, uh, merits of our identification with Christ, which took place simultaneously at justification. And it's because of those things, our faith in Jesus and our identification with him at justification is why we are experiencing the grace of God. So the grace of God has been poured out on the whole human race and, uh, and yet we appropriate that grace and the grace in the form of having an eternal relationship and a fellowship with God and merited blessings because of being related to him through faith in his son. We, the unbeliever experiences that when they trust in Jesus Christ, the Savior. They experience the grace of God and it all flows to them because of the merits of the object of their faith, Jesus Christ. Very, very, very important that we understand that. So there, this prepositional phrase, interesting, we'll close with this. This prepositional phrase, uh, anto agapimeno, uh, which I translate again, because of the one who's divinely loved, continues the idea, which has already appeared in Ephesians 1.3 with a prepositional phrase, and Christo, in Christ. Ephesians 1.4, it, it continues the idea from Ephesians 1.4 with a prepositional phrase, and alto, because of him alone, I translate it. And it continues the idea from Ephesians 1.5 with the prepositional phrase, dia Iesu Christo, through Jesus Christ. So these prepositional phrases, what do you see they keep emphasizing? The person and work of Christ. They continue to mention, uh, reference uh, his, our faith in him at justification, our union identification with him, and also flow, which all flow to us, to us from his... Uh, crucifixion, death, burial, resurrection, and session of the right hand of the Father, and we appropriate the benefits of his work on the cross for us and, his, and our, uh, those events in his life through faith in Jesus Christ. We appropriate those, uh, that great deliverance that he, and salvation and sanctification that he provided for us through those events in his life. And so, uh, so these prepositional phrases in one, verses one, uh, 3, 4, and 5, and now verse 6, are all emphasizing, uh, tell us that Paul had a high Christology. He had, a, he was, it, this is Christolog, it was uh, Christological and uh, basis, this whole, this whole um, uh, prologue and this whole book is. It's all, you know, he, he, he again, over and over again, emphasizes uh, Jesus Christ and his importance to our position as, as children of God now. So uh, that's about uh, it for today. And I ran out of things to tell you. I mean, I, I, things I want to tell you right now. God, so I've, I'm not going to speak, uh, speak for another three, four hours, though I could. Uh, we'll have to pick this up on. Uh, we'll pick this up on uh, Tuesday at uh, 11 a.m. Central Standard Time, as usual. And then, uh, and that after I finish up this loading these classes, then I'm going to go do some work in Ephesians 1:22. I'm almost done with that, and then I got my lessons for tomorrow. I got to go look over for our class at Doctor Bible Church. So. So I got a busy afternoon. So that's why I can't go on for another three or four hours, okay? <laughs> All right, let's close in prayer. Thank you for joining me. Heavenly Father, we pray that this lesson would be a great blessing to your people. Uh, for those who are alive and those who uh, will hit watch or listen to these classes with the recordings, I thank you for all of them. And I just pray, Father, again, that you would uh, bless the message through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray, your Son. Amen.